Thank you very much. I, it is an incredibly great honor to uh, have the opportunity to be here this morning. I grew up at this church. My dad joined the pastoral staff here when I was three years old. And uh, so I have very uh, loving feelings in my heart to all of you and to this church. Uh, it means a lot to me. And to get to be here this morning is a great honor and uh, one that I don't take lightly. Well, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about stress meltdowns. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but stress meltdowns can get kind of ugly. And uh, since I'm from Oklahoma, I feel comfortable talking about this, but I hope I'm not going to offend any OSU fans. Uh, We had somewhat of a televised stress meltdown the other day. The Oklahoma State University head coach, Mike Gundy, um, read a newspaper article that said some less than kind things about one of his players. And understandingly so he got a little bit upset and then he went in and sort of had an impromptu news conference and sort of lost it on camera and what he said sort of got lost in the fact of how it got said and something that would have probably just been a blurb on the evening news ended up making headlines in other states just because of the way things happened and because the meltdown got out of control and this morning we're going to be talking about one of the probably clearest stress meltdowns that you will ever see in the bible Um, And one that's very vivid, and I'm glad for that because I, as somebody who deals with stress, and I do deal with stress, I want to look at a situation uh, that Jesus was involved where there was a stress meltdown that I can look at that situation and say, okay, how did this happen and how can I keep it from happening to me? Because I don't know about you, but being in in that position of the meltdown, the crisis mode is not my favorite place to be, although I visited there many times. And I I look at that and I say, how can I avoid that? Our scripture today is going to teach us how we can avoid getting to that stress crisis. So we're going to look this morning in the book of Luke, chapter 10, and we're going to start out in verse 38. And here's what it says. It says, as Jesus, Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem... They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Okay, quick recap. Jesus' ministry is is, uh, at a a, a strong point. Jesus is doing a lot of traveling. And there were a shortage of McDonald's between where he was and where he was going, so they sort of depended on people, uh, inviting them into their homes for meals. This is exactly what Martha did. It's important to realize here that Martha wanted to do something for Jesus. Um, let, let's try to delve a little bit into her intentions. I think when she, when she chose to do this, her heart was that she just wanted to serve Jesus. It, it, she was probably moved by what Jesus was doing. And the facility that she felt most comfortable with doing something for Jesus was to invite her into her home for a meal. And so, of course, Jesus said, well, sure. So they went to the house. And I inherited my dad's imagination and so I, I, get in, I get into reading this text and I start to think about what would have happened here. And um, I'm going to take a quick minute and, and talk about my wife uh, in, uh, in, a, in a very good way. My wife is a very, very clean housekeeper. She keeps that. I'm a sloppy guy, okay? But nothing hits the floor because she is such a good housekeeper that she keeps the place clean before I have a chance to mess it up. And believe me, I do a good job of trying. So... When company comes, it always amazes me because our house is already clean. 
But my wife will go into warp speed mode getting that place immaculate. Because clean is no longer good enough. It has to be. And I'm sitting here and I'm standing here watching floors that I know just got swept. And they're getting swept again. And counters that have been clean are getting wiped again. And there's candles being lit and you can smell the candles in the house and everything. is There's an atmosphere and an ambiance uh, of, of just when you walk in, you think, man, this place is like a, like a show house. Well, the reason for that is uh, there's a personality that says, if, if I invite you to my home, I want you to know how much I value you. So I'm going to make this place perfect for you. And I think if we look at Martha, we can see that parallel with her. She says, I've invited Jesus to my home. And when we see in the Bible, it says she was getting distracted by the details. I'll guarantee you she was getting distracted by the details because that was her way. The details were her way of proving to Jesus how important he was to her. That she was coming into her home. So I, I get this mental image in my mind. And, and uh, my dad says this, and I'll say it too. If, if I'm wrong, when I get to heaven, uh, I will definitely apologize to Martha. But I, I have this image in my head. Uh, because I, I tend to, because of my ADD, I, I have to get a picture going or I just get lost. I can't look at words on the page or I'm, I'm gone after about two minutes. But I think in my mind's eye, Martha's just sort of making sure everything's right. She's just getting stressed already because she's trying to get all these things done. And in her mind, she thinks, man, it is a good thing that I have my sister here because if I didn't have Mary here, I don't know what I'd do. And she turns around to say something to Mary. Say, hey, would you, would you mind checking on what's in the oven for me? Or could you just sort of check the place settings, make sure that everything looks right? Can you just, I just want everything to be perfect. And as she turns around to say something to Mary, Mary's not there. And she thinks, well, huh. That doesn't seem quite right. So she starts going, looking through the house, you know, trying to find Mary. And what she finds agitates her even more because when she finds Mary, Mary is in the living room listening to the guests of honor. But it's not as though she's, you know, working on the, the uh, dining room table and setting some settings and, and just sort of making sure everything's right and sort of craning her ear over to hear what Jesus is saying. Mary has just stopped. She suspended all operations and she sort of just plopped down in the middle of the living room to listen to what it was that Jesus had to say. Now, I don't know about you, but I can sort of understand where Martha got a little agitated. She needed some help. She knew she wasn't capable of doing the entire dinner by herself. And she just assumed that Mary was going to be there 100% of the time. And she finds out that Mary's not there at all. She's not helping a bit. And so what happens is Martha has this meltdown that we're talking about, right? And she just sort of storms in with both guns blazing and, and confronts Jesus. And, and I just wonder if we can step back for a second and realize he was the guest of honor. When we, when we talk about this, my goal this morning is to help you understand the, pl- the stages that got us to this place. Because I want to help us all understand how to recognize when one of those stages is occurring so that we can get out before we get to the meltdown. First thing that happened uh, to Martha when we look at this story was she got sidetracked. She got sidetracked. The Bible says she was distracted with the details. And I just wonder, from, from my vantage point, didn't it seem like that was what it was all about anyway? I mean, she needed to focus on the dinner. She, she needed to get that done. Uh, that was the commitment that she had made. And, and is, you know, she needed to focus on those details. But it's interesting that the Bible says she was distracted. And I think we need to take a step back sometimes when we get ourselves into a situation where we've made a commitment... And look at whether we are focusing on the purpose or whether we are focusing on the process. Now, it's interesting to know you can't get away from the process. 
You just can't. If you have a goal, you say, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to get accomplished, you're going to be stuck with a process. No way around that. You're going to have one. Because you can't get from point A to point B without the process. So the problem here was the process took over. The purpose was to serve Jesus, but now it was about pots and pans. Because her process was to make the meal, and she got stuck, unable to get out of that um, process orientation where that was all she was able to think about. And it's interesting to know that when you get into a situation and you have a good purpose and a good goal, you can still end up on the bad track because you get sidetracked with a good process. I know that was a lot of goods and bads, but it's true. You say, I'm going to do this. Hey, you know what? I am going to take care of my sick family member. They need to come to my house and I'm going to take care of them because they need me to be there for them. Absolutely wonderful purpose. Perfect goal. Great thing to do. But if you end up getting all sidetracked in the process, you're going to find out that all of a sudden you've got a negative situation that you hadn't planned on which just makes you stressed out more. You know what I'm saying? You get into that situation and you've let the process take over and now all of a sudden you're stressed out more because you tried to do something good in the first place and everything's turning out bad. I think a lot of times we just are unprepared to handle the territory between what we decide to do and what we were trying to accomplish. And when we get to that stage, we're just on the doorstep of the second stage, which is we get overwhelmed. I just can't help but wonder, have you ever felt like that? I'm somebody who easily gets overwhelmed. And I get into a situation, I sort of start to get claustrophobic, and I feel closed up in the situation because I realize that I've played out all my playable options, and and it's not working. And I don't know what else I'm going to do. And I start feeling the walls closing in on me. And I think Martha felt those walls closing in on her, but I wonder if just for a second we could minimize the window with Mary and Martha and, and, and take a quick other look. Uh, at another story. A few chapters back, uh, Jesus is with his disciples on a boat and um, the mother of all storms roll in. And all of a sudden, everybody's getting really, really, really stressed out. And where's Jesus? Well, Jesus is asleep in the, in the hole in the boat. Well, that's a big problem for the disciples because they're thinking, uh, we're, we're going to be, you know, they're getting overwhelmed. They're thinking, we're going to die and, and Jesus isn't even going to know. And it's interesting Um, about being overwhelmed because it will always drive you to this point of confrontation that we see in both of these stories because in the story of Jesus and the disciples one of the disciples runs to Jesus and says don't you care that we're getting we're getting ready to die up here tell you what getting overwhelmed whether it's you or somebody that you love is very easy to uh, recognize stage because you will hear something from that person and that sounds very much like this And, and look for this in our stories They'll say, look, either you don't know what I'm going through, or you don't care. It's exactly what both of those people said. The disciple that ran to Jesus in, in, in the boat and said, don't you care that we're getting ready to die, was saying, look, either you don't know that we're getting ready to die, or it just doesn't matter to you. And Martha was saying to Jesus, either you don't know how stressed I am in that kitchen, Look, you may not know what goes into preparing a meal, but I know what goes into preparing a meal. You may not know what I'm dealing with back there. And if you do know, how much worse is that? Because you don't care, and you're letting my sister be in here and ruin this situation for me. Interestingly enough, we do that sometimes with God, don't we? When we get really, really stressed out, 
And when you get overwhelmed, that's when you tend to, that's when you tend to act on something. When you get overwhelmed, it tends to push you into an action. And we begin to say, Lord, you know what? I'm in this situation and either you just don't know what I'm going through or it just doesn't matter to you. But it does matter to God. In both of those situations, Jesus was there and he did know and he did care. When you get to the stage that you're overwhelmed, you're, you're just there at the next stage. And, and this stage is one that will just tear you apart. And that is that if it's you or if it's somebody that you know, they get past that overwhelm stage, they get to the losing touch with reality stage. Stress will make you lose touch with reality until you don't know which way is up. And what will happen is when you start to lose touch with reality, you will begin to exhibit some specific signs. Now, I know I'm already in the middle of giving you a list. I already told you I'm ADD, so lists just frighten me. In a big way. Because I won't remember all of them. That's why I have to have something up here. Uh, let me give you another quick little list. Because this is really important. I want you to know how to recognize somebody that is losing touch with reality. Because of stress. And there are three things that will almost always happen with that person. First thing. They will paint a sign on the front or the back of themselves. And everywhere they go around. You'll see this big sign on them that says. I'm the one who's really the victim here. I'm the one who's being taken advantage of here. I'm the one who's stressed out over something that I meant to do good anyway. I'm the one who meant to, meant to, to take care of this situation completely, and now I'm the one who's in the, who's in the bad place here. And we tend to do that not only in, a, in our... Uh, not only in our marriages, but in our work situation... We say, you know what, I started out to do something really positive here, but now I'm in a bad situation and I'm the one who's paying the price. And when you get around somebody like that, you just got to know reality's starting to change for them. I mean, can we just ask ourselves, you know, I'm, I'm interested to know, I watched that news conference with Mike Gundy and I want to say, you know, I don't think this is really Mike. I don't know Mike, but I see him yelling and being upset. And just losing control. And I want to say, I, I, have a, I have a hunch that before OSU would, would make a serious hire, they would want to know this guy can be under control and that he's a good guy, stable guy. And I have a hunch that that's really who Mike is. He's probably a good, stable guy. He doesn't lash out all the time, you know. And I want to, I want to look at this and I want to say, surely this isn't Martha. And I don't think it was. I think if you had to draw up a bio of Martha, you wouldn't say, Martha loses control. All the time. She's just irreverent. She doesn't treat situations correctly. And I want to look at this and say, what was it about this that made her do what she did? Well, the, the thing that made her do what she did was she didn't see the situation clearly. When she looked at that situation, she wasn't really seeing what was going on. I think that to Martha, everything she did seemed perfectly normal. I think it seemed like the right thing to do. But it wasn't. The problem was she was drawing a picture in her head of the way that situation should look. And it wasn't the right one. So you're going to be the victim. Number two, when you decide that you're going to be the victim in a situation, the second and obvious step is if I'm the victim, I can't be the one who's at fault. Somebody else has to be at fault. And the next thing you'll do is you'll begin to assign blame to people who are not at fault. 
Watch what Martha does. She comes in there and says, basically, Martha is wrong because, or Mary is wrong because she's sitting down here and listening to you talk and not helping me. But even more than that, you're not making her come in and help me, so you're wrong too. And we know from the story that, that uh, neither was true. Jesus was not at fault. Mary was not at fault. Martha was. But to Martha, it seemed like she was on the right track and they were way on the wrong track. And then when you get there, once you get to the point, okay, we have that progress, progression, right? I'm, I'm the victim. I have to assign blame to people, where, uh, to people who are not at fault because I can't possibly be at fault. Third step is you will see this person begin to make enemies with people that used to be their friends. Man, that is really a tough, tough thing to watch. Because what will happen is, because their, dis- because their viewpoint of, of the world has become so distorted and, and twisted, uh, that all of a sudden people that are productive in a relationship with them, and people that they've loved, and people that have meant something to them, all of a sudden look like they're out for them. Look like they're trying to get them. And so what happens is, just like somebody who loses feeling in their extremities and you start to watch them burn themselves on things that are hot because they don't realize that they're hot. And they begin to hit themselves on things without realizing that they're hit. And all of a sudden they look down and they have the bruising on their, on their hands and the burning because they can't feel it. What happens is this person begins to start to claw at and tear apart at productive relationships that they need that help them to function because they think those people are, are, are out to cause them trouble. And you start to see a wife and a husband tearing apart at each other or a, 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 you know, a productive work relationship. And all of a sudden, you're watching these people that, that you care about. And you see two people who used to be very close, who used to lean on each other, who used to care about each other. And you walk in, and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. They're hardly talking anymore. You know, a lot of times, that's because we lose touch with reality. And you'll see somebody begin to think that somebody's trying to get them. And in truth, it's not that way at all. I want to just push the list aside for a second and talk about what happens in our personal relationships when we get to this stage. Because what happens is, because our worldview is distorted, all of a sudden our expectations begin to get distorted. You say, Jonathan, I don't really uh, follow how that's a big deal. Well, it is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Because what happens is we begin to paint that picture of what life is supposed to look like those are our, ext- our distorted goals. We say life should look this way. This is the way my life is supposed to be. And nobody can live up to that because our, our expectations are now being framed in somewhat of a fluid view of what we think things ought to be like. If you watch the progression, Martha has at first a distorted viewpoint. She says, don't you think it's unfair that my sister's in there. There's your distorted viewpoint, which obviously immediately leads to the second part of the progression, the distorted expectation, make her come in and help me. And you talk to marriage counselors today, and uh, they will tell you that when on that first session sometimes, the first couple sessions, and they'll get a, a married couple in their office, and that married couple will begin to sort of spill out what's going on in their relationship and talk about the, the bad things that are going on and the conflict. One thing that becomes very evident a lot of times is that one partner or both has begun to draw a picture in their head of what their marriage ought to look like. But that, marriage, that, that picture is, is coming from a distorted frame of view. And what that person is asking that marriage counselor to do is, would you please explain to my spouse how they can fit into my picture? Well, that's a tough order. 
And I, I think, you know, sometimes you've got both spouses and spouse, you know, the husband over here is sitting here and drawing this picture. This is what my marriage is supposed to look like. This is what I think everything ought to be like in our family life. And the wife is over here and she's drawn her picture. And she said, this is what our marriage ought to look like and our family ought to look like. And, and, and they're both saying, tell my spouse how they can fit into my picture. And the poor counselor sitting there scratching his head saying, man, I should have charged double. I didn't know they were both going to bring pictures. But isn't that the way it is? And same way with our boss. We walk into our boss's office with a photograph. This is what my job was supposed to look like. This is what it was supposed to be when you hired me. Isn't this what my job's supposed to look like? And all of a sudden, we've got people that we're, we're placing a constraint on them. I want you to help yourself fit into my picture. Which is exactly what Martha was saying. She's like, this is my viewpoint of how everything is. Jesus, I just need everybody to sort of get with the program. So... We've talked about um, the stage of losing touch with reality. And the fourth stage is the meltdown, obviously. You just crash somewhat into that stage, you know. It's kind of like an uncontrolled landing. You're just, you're coming down and something's going to start falling apart. And you say, man, Jonathan, whew, this is pretty heavy for a Sunday morning. I can't wait till Mark gets back. This is kind of depressing. And I, I know I've given you the negative this morning, but hang on, because we're going to talk about the positive. The reason that I wanted you to recognize the stages of what happens when you get into these destructive stress patterns is because there is a way out. If you are struggling with stress this morning, please let me just help you by letting you know that Jesus never intended for you to live your life sick with stress. He wants you to be free. And we're going to find that out this morning. I am so excited this morning to tell you what the Lord has been showing me in my life. That stress doesn't have to be what you spend your life with. You can just knock it out the back door and tell it to take a hike. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about how we can handle our stress. First of all, let's talk about how Martha could have done something different. You say, well, Jonathan, I, I'm, I'm glad you came back to that because, uh, you know, I might have somebody sitting there, you're thinking, I started looking at this picture and I'm kind of wondering what she did wrong. I mean, I understand it was probably wrong to confront Jesus, but I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, I'm having a big meal for a bunch of people. I'm trying to get the house ready. Um, you know, if one of my family members supposed to be helping me was just sort of sitting in the living room. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. I, I'm kind of wondering what it was she did wrong. And that's a great question because let's ask ourselves these questions. Was it wrong to need help? Nope. Was it wrong to ask for help? Absolutely not. The problem was she let stress dominate her viewpoint to the extent that she quit looking to the solution and she started looking inward for the solution. Because I just want to remind us all that the fella who would feed an arena-sized crowd with the contents of one little kid's lunch pail was sitting in her living room. And she's stressed out about how she's going to feed one guy in a small entourage. The issue was that the solution was sitting in the living room. But she was looking for the solution in here. She was saying, surely I'm going to be able to affect some change on this situation that's going to make this work. Can I just tell you, you're going to get stuck with a lot of situations in life that you have no power to affect a change over. You're going to need God to affect a change. You're going to need Jesus to affect a change in that situation. I want to uh, just show you what the Bible says back in our passage in Luke. And, uh, and, and in verse 41 it says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, by the way, time out, aren't you glad that when Martha came in guns blazing confronted Jesus that he said, my dear Martha. I mean, granted, we have a lot of ability to, just, to tear apart relationships in life, but she came unglued and Jesus said, I still love you. By the, by the verbiage that he used, he said, my dear Martha, let me tell you what, even when we get upset, Jesus still loves us. 
He said, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details, but there is only one thing worth being concerned about. Wow, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. That's great. Hard to believe. Right? It's really hard to believe that there's only one thing worth being concerned about. For me, I really struggle with that because I stress about a lot of things. But the Lord helped clear this up in my mind when I was reading in Proverbs. I'd like to read you a verse out of Proverbs 1 and verse 7. It says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You say, well, the fear of the Lord thing has always kind of worried me a little bit. Let me just help you with that. You say, well, I, you know, I don't really like the idea of us sort of, you know, being afraid of God because it just doesn't gel with what else I know about God. Great, because it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to approach God afraid of him or concerned about him. God said, come boldly to my presence. And he said that we have a relationship with him as of a relationship of a small child and a loved father. So we know that it's not that we're supposed to be scared of God. What this passage is talking about and what our story is talking about is at some point in life, we all have to make the decision what we're going to be most concerned about in life. And there's an easy test. By the way, some of y'all are probably sitting there. You're kind of like me. You're thinking, well, I'm stressed about a lot of stuff. I'm not really sure what the primary concern in my life would be right now. Well, let me give you a test and, and we'll find out. Here's the way you find out what it is you're most concerned about in life. Whatever it is that you are least willing to negotiate, that's what you're most concerned about. They say that to us in sales. I was in sales for a while before I do what I do now. And one of the things they told us was they said, everybody walks to the negotiation table with something in their hand. And they say, I'm not going to turn loose of what I have in my hand. Now, while they may tell you that everything else around that is not negotiable, it is. The only thing that's not negotiable is what they have in their hand. They said, so if you can make that deal and allow them to walk out with what they came with in their clutches, you'll probably make the deal. And you know what? It is the same way in life. There is something that you are least willing to negotiate. And in life, you will probably negotiate just about anything else to keep that in your hand. And you say, well, Jonathan, I'm not sure that's in the Bible. Well, it is. There was a rich young fellow that came to Jesus and he said, hey, uh, what, what do I have to do to go to heaven? Well, it's the wrong question anyway. You don't do anything to go to heaven. It's about who you trust in, amen? But he came to him and he said, well, what do I do to go to heaven? Jesus said, well, I'll play along. He said, well, you have to follow all the law. And he said, well, I've done that. Not true, by the way. Jesus is about to demonstrate that it's not true. He said, well, I've done all that. And Jesus said, okay. Well, then the next thing you need to do is go give away all your stuff. Man, he got real quiet. Walked away sad. Why did he walk away sad? Because that was what he was least willing to negotiate. He had a primary concern in life, and that was it. Jesus drilled right down to it. Let me tell you something. If you're going to make this work, and you're going to get out of a stressful situation, you're going to give it to Jesus, you're going to have to make up your mind that I'm just going to go ahead and turn loose of that that I came in clutching. I'm going to turn loose of what it is that I've decided to be most concerned about, and I'm going to make that Jesus. And I've, I've got to hurry... Uh, this morning. But I just wonder, what, why is it that we choose to hold on to those things anyhow? You know, we, we get into situations that just tear us apart, and the thing that's tearing us apart is what we're least willing to let go of. You know, uh, the fear of the Lord, what we were just talking about, it's the starting point. Being most concerned with Jesus, that is the starting point to shedding the burden that you're carrying. 
And you say, well, Jonathan, you know, it sounds kind of like a one-sided proposition to me. It kind of sounds like church speak, and I've got to, you know, just sort of ambiguously sort of pie in the sky, sort of hand over my burden to Jesus, and and I'm just not really sure I'm very solid on the fact of how that's all going to work. Let me tell you what, it's a two-sided proposition, and scripturally, we're going to look and see what the Lord says, because this is very important. I want you to know, if you give your burden to Jesus... There is a promise of what's coming on the back end. Let's look in Matthew 11. I'm going to start in verse 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Isn't that who we're talking about? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke like a harness. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my harness is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. What he's saying is, look, if you will make me the center of what it is that you're dealing with, if you'll come to me instead of coming to yourself, if you come to me, I'll, I'll swap you. I'll trade burdens with you. Jesus is perfect. The burden that he wears is an easy burden. And let me tell you what, Jesus is more than enough to take the burden that you're carrying right now. It may seem insurmountable, but Jesus is capable of taking what it is that you're wearing around as a a load and just swapping it with you. And you say, well, Jonathan, I I don't know. You know, I'm harnessed to some situations that I just wouldn't have picked for myself. I'm, I'm... I just, I'm, I'm dealing with a family member who's done me wrong, and I would have never asked for that. I'm dealing with kids who are just not doing what I wanted them to do in life, and I thought I trained them well, and now they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, and I just don't understand. Let me tell you what, Jesus knows what you're dealing with. He would not have offered to take your harness. He would not have offered to take your burden if he wasn't serious. He's serious. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows that you may or may not have gotten yourself into those situations. It doesn't matter to him. He just wants you to come and make a swap with him. I just can't help but wonder as I I close out this morning, um, if you might not be sitting there and saying, you know, Jonathan, uh, I just really feel like I'm in control of this, you know. I'm not dealing with the fallout right now. You know, maybe I'm just sort of in step one or step two. And and I'm really, you know, Jonathan, I'm I'm not to the point yet where I'm willing to make a life change. By the way, it is a life change. If you decide to give over your stress to Jesus, it's a life change. You may be sitting there saying, I'm not really ready to make a big life change right now over this. Because I'm really pretty comfortable with the level of stress I'm in right now. Or you could be like me. I would sit in a service like this and I would hear the preacher talk about cast your cares upon Jesus because Jesus cares about you. A gorgeous, beautiful passage of scripture. And I would sit there and I would think, you know what? I can't do that. I can't, I can't relinquish control because while I knew that I was headed for a train wreck, I still wanted to hold on to the steering wheel. I said, look, I know I'm headed down the wrong road, but I really don't feel like I can hand over the controls. Maybe you're feeling like that this morning. Could I just tell you, some things in life are not worth keeping at, at the loss of what you're losing right now. I want to just talk with you for a minute about something that Jesus said in our passage. And it means it, it, it could mean the world to you if you feel like you're needing to hold on to your stressful situation. Let me help you, please. This, this will mean something to you, I really think. Jesus said... To Martha, that Mary, he said, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. He said, Mary has discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. I read that, and I think, well, what does he mean? Why doesn't he just say, look, leave Mary alone. 
She, she's listening to me. She's doing what I want her to do. Just let her alone. Or why doesn't he just say, look, I, I want her where she's at. I just, you know, uh, talk to me about this. Talk to me about the problem. We'll get it all settled. He says it won't be taken away from her. And I just want to think, well, well, why would he make a statement like that? Here's what it is. In this room this morning, there are some very smart financial people. Wichita has an incredible business backing. And there are some folks in this room that have uh, incredible knowledge of the market and finance. And I could sit across this table from them this morning. And I could take what monetary uh, possessions I have, which isn't much, or my earthly possessions. I could stack them up on this table. And I could sit, sit across from that person and say, look, what is on this table is the most important thing to me in the world. And it's what I'm least willing to negotiate. I will not give up what's on this table at any cost. So I just want you to know, I'm going to make this my main priority. And no matter how smart that financial person is who's sitting across from me, he cannot look back at me and say, this will never be taken away from you. I love my wife, and she's one of the sweetest ladies on the face of the earth. I could sit across from her and tell her, you know what, Wendy, you and Cheyenne are the most important thing in the world to me. I will not negotiate a stitch of the relationship that we have together. You are more important than anything else in the world to me. And Wendy could not look back at me across that table and say, this will never be taken away from you. Mary had figured out that Jesus was the only person in all of the world that she could sit down in that room and by her actions communicate to him that there is nothing more important to me in this world than you. I will not negotiate what we have. This is the most important thing to me. And Jesus is the only person in all the world who can look back at you and say, this will never be taken away from you. I'm just wondering this morning if there might be someone here who's stressing about something that you could lose tomorrow. And Jesus is the only thing worth being concerned about because you can never, ever, ever, ever lose him. Why not be concerned about something that will always be there tomorrow? Because you know he will always be there for you. If you would, I'd just like to have every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've been dealing with stress in your life, I sure wish you would make this the morning that you would just trade burdens with Jesus. Because he's been waiting for you to do that with him. He wants you to bring the heavy load that you're carrying and trade it out for a light one. I wonder if this morning, if you're holding on to something that you could lose tomorrow and you're letting that dominate the way you live your life and you're letting that dominate your actions... Why don't you just turn that loose? Why don't you just make it about something that's not something that you could lose tomorrow? And while I'm talking about that, I, I can't help but say this morning, there might be somebody who's sitting here and you're saying, you know, everything you're saying this morning, is, 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 it makes sense to me, but, you know, Jonathan, I, I struggle with parts of it because I just, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a personal connection with Jesus Christ. And, it, and I want what you're talking about, but I just, I don't have that... Um, connection that, that you're talking about. Well, let me tell you what, this could be the greatest morning in your life because you could not only decide that you're going to let Jesus come into your heart and you will know where you're going to be for eternity, but you could also this morning hand over the load that you've been trying to carry and make this a day that is freeing for you in every aspect of the word. I'm going to pray a short prayer, and there is absolutely nothing magical about the words that I'm about to say, but if you say it from your heart and you mean it, the Lord will save you. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I understand that I'm a sinner, and I know that I can't save myself. 
I pray that you would come into my heart and that you would forgive me and that you would take over my life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Now look this way. If you prayed that this morning, God did save you. And I would just like to uh, mention this. This morning in your worship uh, portfolio that you were given, there's a place that you can notate on there that you accepted Christ. If you did that, I really want to see you get one of these. This has a lot of information that you need to know as a new member of the family of God. We would really like to put this in your hands. So do me a favor, fill that out and either send it, mail it to us and we'll mail you one of these. Or I would highly recommend you just take that little card and hand it to the person at the Welcome Center as you're leaving. They'll give you one of these right now. They will not ask you any probing questions. They'll just hand you one of these because we want you to have these resources as a new member of God's family. There is nothing more important on earth than having your relationship with Jesus Christ squared away. Lance.